Hey, man, how's it going? Hello, John Schuler. Hello, Brandon Gore. <laughs> <laughs> this week I decided to bring it, you know, it's the expansion and contraction. Last week I went big, this week I'm going to go small. There you go. Right on. I'll just be me. Yeah. Hello, Brandon. Oh. Be like, what is that, Eeyore? Hello, Brandon. Another day. Another day. Dude, I used to have a legit Eeyore that worked for me in Arkansas. This guy. Yeah? If you took mashed potatoes and you put googly eyes on it and you just shook it around, that'd be what working with this guy was like. Every day. <laughs> and anybody that's been in my shop knows who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name names, but you know who I'm talking about, this guy. And um, every day he'd come in. i say, you, know, you have a good weekend? Nope. All right. Did you do anything fun? Nope. Did you go on any hot dates? Nope. Go with any chicks? Nope. Any dudes? Nope. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, you know, good morning. He's like, or I'd say, I'd say, how's it going? And this is what he'd say. Every day he'd do this. He goes, another beautiful day. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, bro. It is, isn't it? It's a beautiful day. Woo! Let's get it. Jeez, Louise. Come on, that would be funny. God. That would be funny. Can I get you some cocaine? Maybe a dash of meth? Like, what can we do to get you going? Let's do this. What is going on here? That guy. So, you know, I, he was a nice enough dude. Don't get me wrong. But it was hard working with him because that was the whole day. I don't think I could. No. Yeah. No, that would drag me down. It yeah. does. His energy was affecting my energy. I'd come in excited, yeah. excited, excited. Let's do this. I was working on the chair at the time, the really cool chair that I'm still working on. It was summertime and it was a ton of sanding and Bondo and it was, you know, my shop wasn't cooled. So the dust is just caking to you. And I was loving it. I was loving it, man. I was like, dude, I was like, this is, this is what it's about. You know, do you, do you love this? He's like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm so excited about this. Like, this is, this is what I live for. And I asked him, do you have any passions in life? Nope. None. If you won the lottery, you won 500 million tomorrow. What would you do? Nothing. Okay. Mm-hmm. This dude, true story. He'd go, his parents live in Iowa. He'd go on road trips from Arkansas to Iowa. It's like, I don't know, 10 hours. I asked him, what would you listen to? He's like, I don't. I'm like, you don't turn on the radio. Nope. So for 10 hours by yourself, you sit there in dead silence. Yep. <laughs> He's like, a thinker, man. He's a thinker. That's what it Jesus. is. Jesus. How do you do that, man? Like, I got podcast after podcast and audiobook, and I'm like, you know, and then I put on the music and I'm cranking. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, Jesus, I'm so animated. I'm hitting all the chords and microphones. Yeah, what are you playing with over there? I'm just, my arms are going, man. I'm just worked up at the moment. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, yeah. Uh, Hey, I got an Apple Watch. It's interesting. Do you have an Apple Watch, John? No, AIM loves hers, though. AIM loves her Apple Watch, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's tracked my sleep the last two nights. Guess how much I slept last night? I don't want to know because it's probably going to make me feel bad. I'm going to say six hours. Four hours and 26 minutes. Oh, then that's pretty good. Yeah. That's horrible. I should double that. That's, really? that's rookie numbers. I should be eight hours a night. 
But no, four I hours don't know and how, Honestly, I don't know how anybody. I could see quiet time for eight hours a night, but I don't. I don't see how people like legitimately sleep for eight hours. It's good data for sure. It's tracking my my steps and uh, my heart rate and does ECGs and um, all that kind of fun stuff. So it's it's great. Cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so what do you want to talk about today on the Concrete Podcast? Well, we're going to get Sergio a call. Yep. Or Sergio, right? Uh, Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. I don't know. Yeah, Sergio, Sergio. Yeah. Um, yeah, pricing. I want to talk about pricing. Yep. But you know what? There's something else. This, I mean, and again, this is probably going to sound petty, but I think we need, I truly believe um, on a next podcast or something, I'd like to go over fibers again. You know, fiber, fiber technologies, fiber combinations. Um, a bit ever since... I'm still going to say, and I know we brought it up, ever since we did the um, Heroes Quest, there were some great videos that people were showing with the SCC flow. But with that, there's been a lot of, I'm going to say, misinterpretation and misinformation about fibers, fiber use, I mean, specifically pointing towards maker mix, fiber loadings. So I think it'd be great to go over that again. Yeah. I know... I think that's... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, you brought this up earlier today when I chatted with you, and I think that's interesting. I think it's a little too deep in the weeds for a lot of people. I think it'd be a pretty boring podcast if we just... Yeah, I agree. For an hour. So let's hit the high levels of it. There, We posted a video of an SEC GFRC table being cast and people saw the video yeah. and the flow was amazing. And you can see it's the stupid, air yeah. itself degassing the air. It's just, you know, yep. consolidating on itself beautifully. And it's amazing. And that was a 3% loading of fiber. Mm-hmm. And um, the water to cement ratio was perfect. The plasticizer was perfect. And we posted that. And then there's been rumors or insinuations that we were doing a 2% loading of fiber or, yeah, I didn't even know this was going on. Yeah. Or we bumped the water through the roof and weakened it, or we went crazy with the plasticizer. None of those things were true. And the people saying that weren't weren't there. Um, they're just making stabs in the dark of like, how could we achieve that type of flow? You know, and it really comes down to it's the design of the mix. It's the mix itself yeah. that allows us to do these things. If you try to do those things with a traditional 50-50 sand and cement mix, yeah, you'd have to go crazy with your water or you would have to back the fiber way back. I get why somebody would arrive at those thoughts because if you don't know any different, you don't know what you don't know, then you're like, oh, that's the only way you can do it. Well, no, there's other ways. You just don't know about it. You haven't done it. Right. But you want to... Well, that's where experience comes in. You know, yeah. I mean, this is where... What it highlighted to me is that, yeah, those people with these other thoughts... It's just pretty clear to me they just don't do it. But this boils down to the materials, not just the materials like, ooh, stand on a soapbox and make or mix. No, also what fibers that we recommend, what loadings, what fiber combinations, um, so forth and so on. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's just interesting to me that there's still so much – because I think we touched it even in the last one and we just said, hey, guys, that's the wrong focus – but man, I'm telling you, I'm continually being inundated with that um, after posting that video. And what was that video? Six months mean? ago? I don't even know how long it oh, was. Well, the, well, was it the Concrete Heroes Quest that we just did or the one prior? The, no, the one we just did. Okay, yeah. so that wasn't, that was like six ago? weeks ago. Oh, was it? No. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't, I don't know. Neither one of us are good with time. Like time is just a concept. It's a man-made construct. It doesn't yeah. exist. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why <laughs> once I get to the edge of the earth, uh, on my flat earth, I'm, I know I'm just going to fall off. You haven't been there but yet? No, I don't pay attention. I've been there. I have not. Oh, I haven't been there. I looked over the edge. So, yeah. So, I mean, when I say a podcast, I don't mean a whole podcast, but I was literally talking to somebody who had been contacted about the same thing. And uh, I'm going to say clear the air kind of thing. But, you know, oftentimes what's not talked about, we talk about it a little bit, is what the benefits of fiber combinations are, why we use them, meaning from an experience point of view, not a, you know, what does your flexural strength tell you and da da da. Because to me, that's the information coming from people. Again, they're not making things. So to them, yeah, that that data or data, that means something. But the reality is, man, most of those strengths mean, are meaningless once once a piece gets put in place. We all know that. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I'm a big uh, – my proponent is fiber combinations, you know, in the plus and minuses and, you know, what you gain versus what you lost. Now, personally, I haven't seen any loss – but what I'm going with this is flexural strength versus impact resistance and so forth and so on. I think we could do, a, again, a very short tutorial like I did on the phone yesterday with somebody. Because, And I say this because it still seems like a, information is coming from very inexperienced people that want to come across as experienced people. You know, yeah. it kind of reminds me of this and I was talking to, and I'm going to use cabinet making, you know, you could be that person that's written all kinds of articles or even books on cab, on making cabinets, but you've never used a table saw. You've never actually even, or if you have, you, you've built something very, very small, maybe once or twice. And then you go to the cabinet maker who's been doing this for 20, 25 years and knows all the ins and outs of his tools yeah, and legitimately the doing it for 25 years, not, and legitimately not writing it. articles for 25 years, but actually making things for customers yeah, for 25 things. years and, and has and real world goes, experience. Right. Yes, and see, yes. anybody who's yes, got an queen. education, and I'm using that specifically, uh, education it, to me reflects that tremendously. You know, what I learned in school even through graduate schools and everything, what you learn from the professor and read out of the book and you took exams on, when I trans into the real world, transferred into the real world, working at the, at the hospitals I worked with and something, you know, I hate to say this, man, but that foundation that I thought I learned, that I got my A's and my B's when, I, when we took the exams, you know, I made my flashcards for the things coming up, <laughs> took my notes when, it, you know, when you went to class. Yeah. That, 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 I bet that was, I'll put a percentage. I think that was probably less than 5% yeah. of really what translated into the real world. And and this, that's where I'm bringing this up again, because that's kind of what's happening again. Um, the information coming from people that are inexperienced, um, and I think they're trying to do a good job. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're trying to mislead people. It's just that their information is coming from a place of absolute lack of experience in using materials. You don't know what you don't uh, know. 
And there's, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of that. When I keep getting messages and phone calls and, and, and again, I don't want to make it sound like this is a, a hot button subject, but it reminded me yesterday when I was having this conversation, not just about what's X percent versus X percent loading and so forth and so on is there's a lot of the nuances that get lost, that was lost in translation of why we're recommending what we're recommending under the conditions we're recommending them in. And that's what gets lost sometimes, I think, with a lot of people. So yeah, that's, I think, you know, in the future we might go over just again, slightly. I, I literally got that one. Well, why do you guys only do Owens Corning? Well, there's a perfect example. <laughs> you know, those little, I'm going to call them more like spindle fibers, as you know, comparatively to the feather fibers, they make a dramatic difference and in, in how, you know, mixes move and flow and cast. So yeah. Owens Corning's, that's what On we paper, recommend. they're the same. On paper. Uh, yeah. On in paper, practice, absolutely. they're night yeah. and day difference. 100%. Yeah. And why we recommend three millimeter anacracks when 15s come in. We don't have to do it all in once, but, and why would, again, why combine them? Well, you know, geez, John, I, you know, so-and-so says just use X percent of three quarter inch Nippon. And I'm like, okay, you and should. So then do you, it. You, you then do it. Yeah, follow the recommendation. <laughs> That's where I'm at, John. I, I try to tell you if somebody says that, you say yes, yes. You should know 100. Yeah, then they're like, that. well, here, and they'll send me this video, and then, but why do I have to? You know, I'm finding that even when I'm using all this plasticizer or water, I'm still pushing it around. Then say, call them I'm and so ask like, them why. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I? How do I fix this? And I'm like, well, ask them. Fixing, ask them. Don't the, ask me. Ask is, them. <laughs> You're right, dude. Uh, this is easy. Andy. This is so easy. It's just we're not going to change anybody's perceptions of like no, who, who no, they no, think no, knows what or whatever. If you want to take advice from from other entities out there, training entities, whatever, and that's okay. Do yeah, it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. A hundred percent. Because we're not going to say this is going to change your mind on that. And you should hundred percent do that. Where what you and I and Dusty and Joe and Martin. What we do is we do this for a living. This is what we do. And if you want to hear it from people actually do it for a living, then great. Come come listen to what we have to say. We're happy to share our knowledge with you and help you with your journey. If that doesn't resonate and you think that this other entity is a better fit, you should 100% go that route. Yeah. And I wish you the best. Well, that was one of the people, actually. Uh, <laughs> Martin and I were having a great conversation about such things, which led to that. And And then Martin said, well, what's funny about it is when I was talking to so-and-so, you know, I basically had to ask him like, mm, so are you telling me that what I'm doing doesn't work? <laughs> I mean, all these projects I've been doing all this, like it, it doesn't work. And that's where the conversation kind of went sideways. Like, well, uh, uh, um, so anyway, like I said, per the conversation I had yesterday, it brought up nuances that I think we haven't really addressed. Like for instance, you know, that a 3% AR glass bundle load, and we only recommend the Owens Corning, you know, that I think that's fantastic. But then once that piece is in place, what have you instilled in that? And again, we're talking countertops for impact resistance. Yeah, because the fiber is well, really just there to get it from A to B. And then once right, it's in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what's your combination that's giving you both strength, meaning your flexurals or I even hate that word. How about your processing slash install strengths? Then post that, 
what have you instilled into it to create an impact where someone dropped a can of beans or because no AR bundle glass is going to give you any of that reinforcement. So anyway, that's what I thought maybe, you know, dealing from those kind of nuances that, that I brought to light in the conversation. And he's like, what? Oh no, I never really thought about it from that point of view. And I'm like, yeah, so that's, that's why you bring this in at this. And then to do that, you got to, you know, plus and minus with that and, and so forth. But again, this is all based on experience, not data on a flexural machine, you know what I mean? Or whatever the case may be, but we can, we've talked about it. I literally pulled my, um, ASDM flexural tester back out. Um, I haven't even dusted it off yet. So, but, but anyway, it still would be good to have that kind of stuff. And then once again, let, let people, you decide, you decide what you want to use. Yeah. A hundred percent. Enough of that. Do you want to get on Sergo or what? Let's give him a call. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. I like talking to Sergo. Sergio Rojas, how are you doing today? Oh, here we go. (laughs) You know, Sergo is doing great. I would imagine this Sergio fellow is probably doing okay, too. So you have dual personalities? What is going on? You're bipolar? Yeah, I can't speak for him. (laughs) He's he's not here right now. Yeah, you know, he's checked out. Oh, that guy. He's He's fishing and surfing right now. That's what he's doing. Is that what he's doing? Yeah, Sergo is here in the shop right now. Take gotcha. some time away from making a form to come do this with you guys. Yes, 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 yes. Important things. Very important. Hey, I want to thank you guys for even considering me to be on here. I think it's awesome. Well, we love having you on. We we actually did a whole podcast with you like two weeks ago, and the microphone situation was creating all kinds of static and whatnot, and so we ended up redoing it. So you have a new microphone, and you actually have a microphone. I think last time you had like a little tiny thing. Yeah. But you have a microphone, and we're going to do this diggity damn podcast with you today. John, you had yep. some things you wanted to discuss. Yep. I know one of them was pricing. What's What, what do you want to discuss with uh, Sergo about pricing? I talked quite a bit with um, Sergo, and him and I got in a great conversation not long ago about pricing and what it did for his business, what it did for his customer base, you know, how, how he eventually got to where he is both from a comfort zone, meaning the, our, you know, our emotional attachment to, to our pricing, and then ultimately into the financial end and what that did overall for his business. And we just had a great conversation about it, man, because this is the idea of pricing and finding your price point, whatever strategies you use to get there, still for so many of us is a very difficult thing. And oftentimes, I know I look back on my past, you know, I I mean, I've struggled with it. Uh, I've been there. I mean, even handing the invoice, I bet I revised that invoice four times because I'm like, oh, that's too much. That's too much. That was my emotional attachment, you know, like, oh, because, oh my God, I can't afford that. I, I can't give that to somebody. But at the same time, you know, I'm living a life where I'm like, hmm, geez, man, I feel like I'm just making ends meet. (laughs) Why isn't this working? Am I not making nice enough product? And so anyway, him and I had a great conversation with it. And I thought, you know, let's, let's focus on that for a while. So, you know, go ahead, Sergio, take off. man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, after listening to you and after we've had this discussion, maybe in the past, like deja vu, um, by no means do I 
even consider that I have it figured out. I'm just on a better course now um, than I have been ever in my in my 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 career as what I do as an art, you know, concrete countertop artisan or whatever you want to call me. Um, but that being said, John, yeah, we we had some good conversations, and you know, it it started it started with me listening to you guys talk. Like I'm sure a lot of other people have heard you say, you know, you, you gotta you gotta charge more because pretty much. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody saying, oh, I started out charging way too much. At least I've never heard of that. It's always what you just said. It's always you start. Oh, man, they won't. They won't. They're not going to accept this. This offer. This is way too much for what I'm doing. I don't know. They're going to say, no, I need this job. I need the yeah. cash flow. I've, whatever it's going to be. You got if you have an employee, if you have rent, you know, um, or if you just when you're starting out, like we talked about, you know, you got to you got to build that portfolio and you got to have you got to show some some work you've done and or be able to send somebody to somebody's house with some work you've done. Um, so you guys are the ones who got me to, to get out of my comfort uh, zone, which really is kind of ironic because it wasn't comfortable. I was working a whole lot and barely making any money. Um, as a matter of fact, I had another full time job the first five years I did this. Um, which was pretty much supporting this this as well. Um, yeah. So I was kind of I was a professional hobbyist, I guess. Um, but that being said, after coming to your shop, your class, Brennan, uh, your last one in Eureka, um, you know, you guys convinced me to to come and and start raising my prices. I didn't jump up dramatically right off the bat, um, but I probably did come up probably thirty percent from what I was charging. Um, and it worked, you know, I, I didn't see a big decline in business. Um, six, seven months later, I raised them probably about another 30%. And that time I did see a little decline in business, but I was getting better projects and bigger projects. And I was also getting handed deposits immediately and I didn't have to ask for them. Basically, yeah. the client the client would be like, "Here, sure. How how far are you? You know, oh, you're six to eight weeks. No problem. Here's a deposit. Put us in the books. You know, which was awesome because before it was like, ah, can I get a deposit, please? You know, and it was just that uncomfortable thing again to ask them for money. You know, for something that is going to be given to them. Which I'll mention it. You know, sorry, I I will mention that is definitely not my comfort zone to ask people for for money. Um, friends, strangers, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm trying to, I am trying to get better about that, but it's still a challenge for me at times. Sure. You know, what has worked well for me is just send an invoice is when we have a conversation, we'll have that initial conversation about the project. And I say, great, let me put together a formal quote for you. And, um, if you want to move forward, and I say this in an email as well, but if you want to move forward, sign a quotation and send a deposit and we'll get you scheduled. And it's just very cut and dry. There's like no emotion to it. It's just, here's the process. If I send them a quotation and they send it back without paying the deposit, I'll just follow up after two weeks or a week or whatever and just say, hey, I got the quotation. Great. The second part is we still need to get the the deposit and then you'll be confirmed and we'll get your your project scheduled. Again, I just, I kind of take all the emotion out of it to where it's just, here's the process. This is the process. I think if you approach it from, a process, just like here's our, and you, you outline it in your initial email to them. Here's, here's next steps. Then, um, then people feel more comfortable 
writing a check. They don't feel like you're like calling them up. Hey, do you have my money? Like, that's weird. <laughs> you know, you don't want to say that. Uh, and I well, have people do that. Like I've had trades, I hire a trade and, and they're like very awkward about how they approach getting paid where had they just said, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll send it over uh, send over a quote, sign that, get us a deposit and we'll get you in. Great. Done. So I think it's just how you approach I, it. I think that's, that's a great advice. Cause I think it's, um, you know, I think some people take, take money and finance is very personal, you know, where I feel if I could make it more like you just said a little bit more, it's just professional, you know, and it actually comes across now that you're saying that it comes across a lot more professional too. Like you just mentioned, that's a great idea. Um, well, cause your cause confidence right now, I just changes behind my as well. Wife. You know, I had behind my wife. I just make her call and, and send all that stuff. <laughs> cause she's really good about being like, Hey, where's, where's our, where's our, you know, where's our deposit? <laughs> I got bills to pay. Where's my money? Yeah, you know, she's, you know, I'm like, oh, here, you know, Kate, will you send this to, uh, you know, send this to, you know, BS Builders? You know, here we go. <laughs> but so, um, so through these changes, um, raising your price and moving forward, you know, what has it done overall to your customer base? I mean, are you still working with the same people? Has it moved you a different quote unquote class of citizen? I mean, what has it done? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I skirted a little bit about it. So basically, you know, I've always had a, I've always charged everybody the same price for anything I do. Um, you know, I don't care if you're a server or if you're a lawyer, you know, I had my, my price and that's what it was. What it's done is it's just, it just put me, I mean, I guess technically it's, yeah, it's put us in a nicer, higher level income bracket. You know, we, we do provide a, custom handmade one-of-a-kind product every time even if we want to try and make the same piece again for their second home or an addition to their kitchen and they want the exact and it's it's almost impossible to do anyway so it's always one of a kind but i have noticed that you know all of a sudden we're in ultra nice neighborhoods all of a sudden we're in a lot of oceanfront homes riverfront waterfront homes you know um it's put me you know, I've worked, I've worked with a lot of builders in the past, small home builders. And now, um, you know, I've started working with a couple of different commercial builders and I've done quite a few big commercial projects and I can't help but feel that's in direct correlation with raising my prices, having a little more confidence in my price and being like, Hey, that's what it is. If you want it great. And if you don't, good luck. We'll be here. Yeah, okay. Let yeah. us know, you know? Yeah, you'd mentioned something in a previous conversation about your barber raising prices. You oh, tell yeah, that yeah, story? Yeah. yeah, of course. So I, I had my buddy Ryan out here, who's a photographer and videographer last week, helping me out. We're making a custom dining room table for him and his wife. And uh, we we're going to trade out some services for some photos and stuff for a brochure we're making. And uh, anyway, we were talking, discussing, you know, he's a small, small business owner like I am. And while we're waiting for his camera to load up and do his thing, we were talking about pricing and he has the same struggles that, that I have and that you have and that all of us have as business owners. Um, but he told me about his barber that he goes to and he told me about this method he's been using. And so essentially his barber started at $50 a haircut, $50 a sit down in his chair a few years back. And once he got full capacity and he was booked out for two, three, four months out, he raised his prices 20%. And every time he'd max out his, his appointment book, he would raise his price 20% again. 
Well, Ryan said that as of last time he saw him, he's like at 160 bucks for a for a sit down in his chair, and he's Ooh. he's booked out, you know, which is awesome. And you know, I, I thought that was I thought that was genius. It you is know, genius. Like, wow. Yeah, I had a guy working for me years ago. He was studying economics, and he told me about this. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's uh, a philosophy or, or I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm stupid at these things. But essentially, the way it goes is as you raise prices, demand goes down. So if you draw a graph of prices raising going up, your prices, you'll see demand go down. And where those two intersect is called the market clearing price. And that's the price at which demand and supply equalize. They're the same. And that's where you want to find. And that's what he's doing right now is he keeps raising his price and he's going to find to that point where it starts to come down and that is his sweet spot. And so I agree with you what you're saying about you ha- you have a, a, um, a feeling of pride that you charge everybody the same price. I don't care. I mean, I've had people pull up in a Corolla. I've had people pull up in a Bentley and I charge the same price. But that being said, there's nothing wrong with slowly increasing your price until you kind of find that market clearing price, that price point where yeah, supply find demand. Find the sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. And everybody gets charged that price. And if by proxy that that kind of drops off some of the people that may be in a different economic bracket, that is what it is. I mean, it's, we're not UNICEF. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm here to run a business. And so you're, that's kind of our jobs as business owners is to find that place. That barber is a great example. He could have stayed at 50 bucks and he would have stayed booked up forever, but he's leaving a lot of money on the table as a business owner because now he's up to 160. He's more than tripled his price and he's still booked up four months. He's, he's doing the right thing to find that sweet spot. And I'm sure just like you guys have mentioned, his clientele is probably top notch. You know, he's not having anybody come in and asking him for a, a bro discount or hooking him up, you know, Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, people, these people, people have more respect. I think they have more respect when they're paying a substantial amount for something. They respect it. And whether it's a haircut, they respect the barber. You know, if you go to sport clips, eh, whatever, you don't really think very highly of the barber necessarily. There's somebody cutting hair. But if you go and you're paying somebody 160 bucks, you're think this guy's top of his game. You look at him in a different way. And so if you're charging your prices, if you're charging $5,000 for a sink versus $500 for a sink, the people that are buying that sink have a different level of respect for the work you're doing versus if you were super cheap. Well, yeah, you guys just touched on something. I mean, the, the, the whole image, and I know oftentimes when we do a podcast, you know, I, I use an analogy about a, well, you know, a $15 an hour electrician and a $150 hour electrician, and both are going to be booked up. But one thing you guys are now touching on is, I don't know, you know, the the perception that everybody sees on those two. Now, here we're talking extremes of a spectrum, but the two different ends of that spectrum and how we perceive, you know, the $15 an hour guy versus the $150 an hour guy. It, it really changes dramatically. And we, you know, I, I know for me personally – I want to be treated like the upper end guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to be kicked around. I don't want to be thrown crap jobs. I mean, you know, I want my materials treated with respect and so forth and so on. And and so the perception, I mean, that's a big part of it as well that I think is often either misunderstood or just plain ass overlooked when people are battling to pay their bills. You know what I mean? For sure. And I agree with you 100%. 
I also think, you know, you guys have touched all these subjects before, but, you know, I worked on perception is a big thing. Brandon, I know you're in your last podcast, maybe the one before that you guys talked about, you know, photography and, and how to market yourself. But even down to just, I mean, you know, even down to just meeting a client for the first time, um, you know, I, you know, I think it's important that you come across not just well-spoken and knowledgeable what you're doing, but, you know, your perception, you know, uh, I, I think it's important to, to always have, you know, clean shirt, tucked in, look, don't look like you just got out of the, pol- you know, the polishing booth. Um, I mean, sometimes that just happens. Somebody stops by the shop, you're working, that's what it is. But, you know, when you're, when you're going to meet somebody and you're, you're walking into their, you know, four or $5 million home, you know, you have to have this perception that, you know, that, that, that you're legit, you know, and, and yeah, like you said, I'm the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want somebody, you want somebody to treat you like, Oh, Hey, this guy, this guy, okay. He's for real. He knows what he's doing. Um, this is, Oh, this is why he charges this much. Oh, now I get it. You know, yeah. where, you know, and, and that's a tough one too. You know, that's something you have to, you have to, I had to learn to become a lot more confident in my perception. Um, I have no problem talking to people. I can talk all day long. Um, you know, it's never, it's not always something people want to hear, but I, but I'll talk all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, See, that's the Sergio side. That's That's the Sergio. Yeah. (laughs) Hey y'all. It's me, Sergio. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Just got back from Nashville. When you talk about, you know, you you raise your price 30% and 30%. And I mean, there's lots of strategies. I have mine, which I'll talk about. Uh, but how did you, I mean, what was your strategy? Just randomly picked a number and raised it or mathematically, emotionally? I mean, what set you on your path? I mean, we clearly know it changed your customer base or helped your customer base. I mean, mean, what, what got you that direction? Got you. I wish I could be a little more well, this is what I did and the percentage of this overall, this, and my cost is good sold. And, you know, but unfortunately I am, I am not the smartest business guy when it comes to numbers and stuff like that. Um, I got, I got the basics down, you know, originally I knew how much I was paying for rent. I knew what my materials were costing. Um, you know, and that's a whole nother subject, you know, but I, and then it was just mainly, you know, unfortunately with concrete, it's, man, it's always different. Every project, you know, my, my cousin's very good at business and we often talk. And the first thing he always asks me is like, okay, well, you know, what's your hourly cost to make, make a countertop. And I'm always, I, I'm always so embarrassed because I can't give him a number because it <laughs> always changes. Yeah. I have, I've spent weeks like writing down, trying to remember like, okay, I'm going to mark down when I start forming and when I'm done. And then when I do the next step and you know, I'm going to, and I'm going to categorize, you know, catalog every hour spent on every project. And then, you know, I'll have a, a kind of a number. And then next thing I know, you know, I do a fluted fireplace and we're ripping PVC for the mold and I got to buy rubber molding. And all of a sudden that's out the window. So I guess, John, basically, I mean, when a push comes to shove, it was just end of the month would roll around and I didn't have any money on my bank account. You know, like, uh, hey, you know, we, we, we broke even or, hey, you know, I paid for my groceries. But, hey, you know what? We're not making a profit. So, you know, I kind of, I looked around my area, you know, and, and I, I talked to some of the, the guys I know that do high-end granite and some of the guys, you know, I don't have anybody. I, I, there's a couple of people that, that do do concrete counter-ups kind of in my area. There's a guy up in Jacksonville who does pretty good work. 
but I've never discussed prices with him. Um, you know, um, and I just kind of, I realized what my costs were and, you know, like I said, I added that 30% like, okay, well maybe this is, this is what will push me over to make a little bit of profit this month. And, um, unknowingly I kind of did what that barber's kind of done. You know, it worked. I didn't lose. We were still booked up. And so, you know, my wife was like, Hey, why don't we try raising the prices one more time? See what happens. Cause she's a little bit more cautious than I am, you know? And I was like, okay, let's, let's try it. And the last time and she was it, eyeballing and, that new car. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, right. I know, man. <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> I hate car payments, John. So I have an, I have a 23 year old, 22 year old truck. And we, we always alter taking turns, getting a new vehicle as long as we've been together. So, yeah. you know, every few years, one of us gets a new car, but I haven't gotten a new car, like for like four cars. Cause I love my truck. It's an old truck, but I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of it. <laughs> same, same. So, so no, she already has a newer car already, but, um, you don't know for her, it's, she wants me home. You guys have talked about it. Quality of life. Yep. You know, we have two kids, you know, I've got an 11 year old and an eight year old and I don't want to miss any more than I've missed in the past. And so she really pushes for me to, Hey, you know, if, if you can be home by five every day, that's awesome. You know, I, I wish I could, and I'm, I'm trying, I can't be home at five every day, but I'm, I'm a lot better at it than I used to be. Um, but, you know, and that was one of the things that that final push, you know, kind of put us a little bit. All of a sudden we're like, hey, wait a minute. Look, 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 we have a little bit of money. You know, we can we can afford that new table saw for the shop, you know, yeah. um, or we can do this, you know. Or, I read um, something. She's starting to. Yeah. I read know. something the other day as a meme or a gif or something. But it said the only people that care that that cared that you worked late are your kids. When it's all said and done, you oh, know? yeah, the, the only ones that will remember. Yeah. yeah, the only yeah, people yeah. remember that you work later. Your kids, the clients don't care. At the end of the day, you know, yep. the timelines they set are just phony. They're made up. It's never legit. Right. Um, yeah, how many times we met them under we're thinking under duress, like man, I got to get this thing done to find out they were still, you know, two weeks, three weeks. They've broken ground oh yet. It's still a field. Uh, There's no building. <laughs> you know, we gotta have it, the uh, superintendent. We gotta have it by this date. You're like, ah, and you're telling your wife, I can't, we can't do the festival this weekend. I gotta work. You get it done. You uh, pull out there, and it's a grass field. They ain't broken ground. Yeah, you know. Oh, uh, and then every add time. insult to injury, and then they lean it against something, and then they call you eight weeks later when they finally install it, and somebody damaged it. Or yeah, or they like, lean it outside. Uh, they lean it outside, yeah. and a sprinkler spray on it every day, oh, and then yeah. it bakes or in the sun. Boxes on it, or <laughs> and then they're like, what? 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 What are these mineral buildups on it? Uh, this it shouldn't be like this. I'm like, well, you leaned it outside for seven months and let sprinkler spray on it every day and then bake yeah. in the sun. Hard that's not water, a me problem. Yeah, that's yeah. a you problem. <laughs> that's actually, a that yeah. true story that happened. So it happens all the time. It Sean Van time. Dyke. Sean Van Dyke. Profit first for contractors. Did you ever read that, Sergio? I have not. I have listened to the first probably four chapters five times. Okay. <laughs> Definitely do it. Because I started. And then I get busy. And then I, I know that's a bad excuse. And that's a horrible excuse. Fact, that's one of his things he tells you not to do. But yes, you're right. I, I need to finish it. You need to finish it because it, it does give you a good foundation to arrive at price. If you're not profitable, there's no point in doing it. And most people in this industry don't have any idea if what they're doing is profitable or not profitable. And they do what you do. And they did what I did and what John did. And that's at the end of the month, you look at your account like, oh, that's not good. I should raise right. my prices, yeah. but you're not, you're not approaching it from a systematic method. The other thing you did, which is logical and I did it, but it's not the right way. In my opinion is price by survey to where 
you're contacting a granite company and a quarian company and you know maybe you're you got a secret email address and you email the other concrete guy in your area and you're like hey i got this project can you give me a quote and you're seeing what he's charging and you're like well he's charging 95 you know maybe if i'm Mm -hmm. 100 or maybe if i'm 90 if i go under all those things are logical approaches to pricing but they don't ensure profitability and at the end of the day if you're selling the right thing which isn't price price doesn't matter if you're selling design if you sergo are making the most incredible fire pit anybody's ever seen it doesn't matter what anybody else is charging because there's nothing else to compare it to so when a client says well that's expensive you say compared to what compared mm-hmm. to what oh yeah because they can't get it's not a countertop a countertop they can get from 500 concrete guys But that fire pit, there's only one guy in the world that makes that fire pit, and the price is the price is the price. It's not square footage. It's none of that. This is my price. And so if you're selling design, which we, dude, I will hammer this until the day I die. And maybe after I'm dead, people appreciate the message. Sell design. Don't sell price. So if you do that, then the pricing of granite and Corian and the other concrete guy is totally irrelevant. It has zero bearing on you and your life and your your pricing, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But... Brandon, let me ask you this. So how, how do you translate that to, you know, somebody who's just starting, who only is learning how to do countertops, who doesn't have that, you know, you say it all the time that, you know, you, you learn, you know, design, you get good at design by practicing it. Yep. And, you know, but if, if you're just starting out, like, I don't necessarily know if you have the luxury to only sell your design. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. I sense? didn't. Yeah, for years, I was doing countertops. That's, I mean, for years, that's what I did. And it's for soul sure. draining. Nobody loves countertops. <laughs> There's nobody Definitely. in this industry that loves countertops. You do it to pay the bills. <laughs> but you do it to pay the bills until you can do what you want to do. And the only way you're going to do what you're going to do or do what you want to do is to do it. And what I mean by that is you will have to put in some long hours and you will have to miss some, some events with the kids in the sense of you got to do the things that are going to keep you operational, keep the lights on, but then you need to devote time and energy to developing new things. And when I say new things, it's whatever you're passionate about. I mean, I could honestly get very passionate about bollards. No joke. Bollards are something, millions of these things are sold around the world. If you develop an innovative bollard system, innovative designs, you could, you could be a multimillionaire every year just selling bollards. And it's something I could get passionate about. I haven't gotten passionate about it yet, but I think about it all the time. Find something you're passionate about and work on designing something for that, that little niche industry. And then if you can do something innovative in that, in that little world, then you're going to get traction. You're going to get traction globally. And you'll start selling stuff to people in Germany and Australia, wherever, and shipping international. And that's when things start to shift. So it's not going to shift on its own. I always wanted to do rammed earth forever. I fell in love with rammed earth in the year 2000 when I moved to Phoenix. My wife now, we, we dated back when I was 20 years old. I told her about rammed earth back then. I was like, oh my God, rammed earth, blah, 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 blah. We didn't talk for years. Like we broke up. We didn't see each other for, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And when we reconnected, she asked me about the rammed earth. She's like, what are you doing at the rammed earth? I'm like, ah, you know, I, I've gone apprenticed and, and, you know, have every book on the subject and I love it, but nothing. And she's like, okay. So did you give up on it? I'm like, no, I didn't give up on it, but I was just waiting. I was just waiting for a customer who had no idea that I loved rammed earth that I was interested in to walk on my door and say, Hey, will you build my rammed earth house? I was waiting. 
you can't wait, you have to do. And so same thing with this, you can do countertops and you can be profitable and you'll, you'll keep the lights on. But if you ever want to transition, the only person that can transition from that to the next thing is you. Nobody's going to do it for you. So you have to put in the time, you have to put in your energy, you have to be willing to fail and you have to go into it with that mindset because that's the only way it's going to happen. In my opinion. I like it. I, 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 I think that's a, yeah. I mean, you can't not agree with that. I guess oh, I think the, a lot of people don't the agree hard with that. Part is, the hard part is, <laughs> I don't agree with that. The hard part that. is finding that, you know, if you have, if you already have that thing that you're so passionate about, that's awesome. But I guess the other thing is, you know, being able to, like you said, you know, I guess perfect that thing so that you can, you know, put it out there for everybody to want. Well, that's what I, that's what I was going to talk about. And in, in, you guys just touched on it in a moment. Like, the, so how do you how do you get to that point? You, meaning, like, we all just talked about time, spending time with family, and so forth and so on. And and for me, because I'm I'm like you, uh, Sergio, or maybe like the other Sergio. Yeah, I see. I'm the same. I'm a people pleaser. I admit that, man. And especially when you're making something, and I always attested that to. I always felt there was my own emotional attachment to this thing that I know I just made it and I know it's just sand and cement and so forth and so on. But, you know, damn it, man, I, I put a piece of my soul into this thing. And that was difficult for me. What allowed me to pull my, the emotion out of it is just like I'm doing right now. Like, so I have very simply 16 square feet of countertops or vanities that I'm doing for, for one of the designers. I've made up a number. I'm, I already know I'm going to spend 24 hours a week in the shop. That's it. That's all I do. You know, um, now maybe sometimes I stay, you know, a little bit later, but that's the reality. Uh, sometimes I'm there for two hours. Sometimes I'm there for six hours. It doesn't matter. 24 hours. So for me, it was about math. I had to figure out a way how to calculate that for myself. And it became pretty simple. You know, I need about 10 grand a month. Some people might think that's extreme. Well, you know, maybe I do live extreme. I live in California. Maybe it's expensive. So I need 10 grand a month to pay my bills. So I, I literally, for me, it was simple math. I know my materials are going to be 500 bucks. I know I'm making 16 square feet in this project this week. I'm going to be here for 24 hours. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I figured out that I need to charge basically 200 bucks a square foot to make this happen. Now, if I want any room to move, meaning not just pay my bills and get by, you know, a little extra. So there you go, 220 bucks a square foot. And that's what I charge. And that's, I mean, to me, that was a non-emotional way of looking at this thing, knowing that I'm getting paid, I'm covering you know, the, the basics, meaning the material costs and so forth. And it gave me a number that I didn't, that, that all of a sudden it gained my confidence to be like, like, no, if I charge 150, I'm not paying my bills or I need to work more projects in the shop. You know what I mean? I need more time, which then takes away from like when Brandon called me this morning, you know, I'm taking my son down to the weight room this morning uh, you know, it, it takes me away from those kind of things. So that was my strategy that that I still use now when I price a project. Because you mentioned you mentioned the project, like with the all of a sudden it changed. You're doing a fluted fireplace, and you know rubber was involved, and these kind of things, and that can change. 
based on what, like I always change the same price. Well, I don't know, man. I, I now see I'm counter to that. I don't think I could charge the same price. So I do it mathematically and it takes all of that out for me. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're focusing back on how do you arrive at a number and what Sergo was talking about, which I think is kind of a higher level uh, conversation is finding passion. And I'd say there's a lot of people yeah. that got into this industry for the wrong reason. They got into it to make money only. They didn't have any passion for any of it. Yeah, that's happened, you know, 20 years. I've seen a lot of people come in that did concrete flat work. I'm like, oh, I can do this. And they can do it, but they don't have a passion for what we do. And so sure. their, their market reach and their longevity is pretty small. I'd say there's a lot of people that uh, aren't necessarily a good fit to do this. You can't, I, don't, I wouldn't say you find passion for what we do. Either you have it or you don't. I think you can find new niches to get excited about, like bollards. Nobody's ever like, you know what I want to do when I grow up is I want to design bollards. But <laughs> as, as time's gone on, <laughs> I listened to this whole thing on NPR about bollards. Um, it was really interesting. Since, since September 11th, like federal buildings, and they have to replace the bollards at certain intervals, and it's billions of dollars the government spends on bollards, wow. right? It's such a big market. But I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, that is actually, there's so much design potential in that one product that nobody's exploiting. The companies are making these things. They're so boring. It's always the same design, right? Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. So there's something I can get passionate about. But the passion was there for what we do. It's just a new niche to focus on. I love what I do. And so I get wanting to spend time with family. I, I have three little kids. I love to spend time with my family and Kodiak pro, which has kind of been our focus in some of the podcasts. We talk about that. And and I think you've experienced this is it allows you to do what you need to do in a much shorter time frame, So you have more time to spend with your family. And that's great. If I wanted to just spend time with my family, I would cash flow real estate. I would get real estate that cash flows and I just do that. And I'd never do anything besides buy properties that cash flow. That's what I do. That's not my goal. I love spending time with my family, but there's another part of my life where I have a passion for design. And I love coming to my shop and I love working on designs as much as I love spending time with my family. Both those things are equal to me. The balance is important, but either this is something somebody wants to do or it's not. And if money is your driving factor, it's not the right career path. You know, you have to want to do it. And so back to where this whole thing kind of comes full circle is what John's talking about is arriving at pricing based on expenses and here's how I get to my square footage pricing. That's a very important conversation. It's something we should all should do. But if you're focusing on, I'm going to design the best bollard ever designed, it's going to be insane. And this bollard is whatever, 4,000 bucks a piece. And you should see what they pay for bollards. Again, find an NPR episode where they talk about bollards. It's interesting. But it's $4,000 a piece. That number is your, your price for that item that nobody can get anywhere else in the world. It has nothing to do with how much time you put into it necessarily or anything like that. It's, this is the value that I'm putting on this based on design. And so that's what I'm selling and pricing for square footage and all that stuff kind of goes out the window. Definitely figure out your costs, get a handle on costs. So you're profitable because you're not profitable. You're not going to be in business. You have to be profitable, but then focus on products that price per square foot isn't a factor that you're selling the design that's unique to you. At least that's what I found to be a very sustainable path forward with this industry versus square footage pricing, which I think gets tough. Well, and that was going to lead into my next question, really for all of us. 
we haven't talked too much about it. You know, we did talk about perception, but then confidence too. You know, confidence is a big one. When I first started this, and I'm not going to blame it solely on materials, I'm also willing to say undeniably that confidence in what I was introducing to people, it wasn't really there. And and so in my opinion, to address like sir, when you're asking, like, you know, what is what is somebody new, you know, coming into this? First of all, I think it's a totally different age. <laughs> like, you know, what I was at 20 years ago, you know, still trying to say, well, is it going to be sacrete and extra cement? I mean, what am I doing? I mean, materials for this niche industry has changed dramatically and quality has changed dramatically. So I think one of the things, and and you guys could tell me otherwise, but, you know, so, so Sergio, I know you've come in a similar path, meaning you don't have to say what you were using and what you're using right now, but how, how has the materials you're using impacted your confidence along, you know, so let's say bringing in a quality and helping you raise your price confidently with what you're trying to, to bring to customers? Sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, just so you guys know, I do use Maker's Mix by Kodiak Pro just in case you guys are curious. But that being said, yes, as comp, my confidence has gotten better and the materials have helped. I still get my butt kicked on a weekly basis. I mean, you know, so, but that being said, I do get my butt kicked a lot less over the last few years than in the past. Um, your guys, your guys material has definitely sped up the back half of my production. By that, I mean, it takes me a little longer to build my forms than it did before. But all the hard stuff that, I because mean, I like form building. I think it's fun. You know, it, it's never, I think it's the beginning of the project, so it doesn't seem tedious to me unless I'm redoing it. But, you know, when we're building a big giant form for a double waterfall, you know, thousand pound table, it, it's just, I'm not an engineer, but I like to pretend I'm an engineer and, I'm going to do this or I'm going to try that and I'm going to make sure that this is here and an extra screw there. And, you know, and it's still so scary when you start pumping thousand pounds of concrete into it, um, that it's going to hold or whatever, you know, don't get me wrong. It's still so, I'm so, so on nerve the night before, but that part is fun to me. It's challenging because there's a lot of problems I don't even know about yet that are probably going to happen. And concrete, I always say it, she's like a woman just when you think you have it figured out, poof, she just slaps you and, you know, you don't know what the hell's going on. But uh, your guys' material has definitely eliminated a lot of my, mostly eliminated my processing uh, issues. I had, I used a Portland-based cement last for a long time. And then up until I switched to Makers, I was using Rapid Set almost exclu exclusively, unless something was white. And then I just had a, a Portland mix with a standard, you know, admixture um, that, you know, you can buy from numerous different places. But anyway, you know, I always had, I don't know if it's because where I live or the Portland we can get down here. I always use federal, but man, I dealt with curling issues like you can't even imagine. Um, I became proficient at having a piece curl and the next day I could lay it on the floor on a wet towel and curl it the other way. I knew exactly how many hours to let it sit so it would straighten back out. And I would have to do that so many times. Um, and it was just infuriating, not to mention, you know, you can't bring, you put in a, a countertop that's not straight. It's just, that, that's what, that's what the guys in the garage do. 
you know, and, and we're not those guys. We're professionals. So to show up with a piece that's got, you know, an, an eighth inch, you know, crown to it, it just, they usually right. don't notice, but I notice. I notice right off the bat, you know. Um, and well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. And that beats on your confidence. Oh, without a doubt. How do oh, I charge? I'm just stressed <laughs> out the whole time. Like, what are you, all oh, these guys are going to see this. They're going to freak out, you know. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, eliminating that was a godsend. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, because I can honestly say since I've switched to your guys' product, I haven't had one piece curl. I just poured three, five half-inch backsplashes yesterday by five feet long. Um, they're actually under the blanket still. So, But I am completely confident that when I pop them out in another hour or so, they're going to be just fine, and I won't have to worry about them. Where in the past, half-inch concrete, rapid set, forget it. That thing was going to be – actually, rapid set wasn't as bad as Portland, but it was still there sometimes. Um, that being said, you know – the finishing of the concrete, the fact that when I pop this sink and these backsplashes, when I'm done with talking to you guys on this show, you know, I know I'm pretty confident. Actually, I'm very confident. I'll be able to process that sink this afternoon, fully process it so I can seal it tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And that was unheard of before. I mean, even with a, a perfect cast, as I guess people call it, you know, um, they were still slurring and sanding and slurring and pinholes. Um, and those are those are pretty much gone. You know, unless I mess up and don't put enough wax on my seams, um, where sometimes the caulk will you not know, have wax on it, actually, or if it's too much wax, you know, that's the only time I notice that sometimes I'll get tiny, tiny little pins um, on the corners. But other than that, if I take take my time and I do it right and I don't rush my form and before I pour, it's it's awesome. Like it's 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 really cool, you know. And uh, and that has given me lots of confidence. It's given me confidence in my time frames. You know, because as a people pleaser, John, I, you've been there. How many times do I tell somebody I can have it in six weeks? And two nights before the final six weeks is up, I'm in my shop for 24 hours straight trying to get a piece out, <laughs> which usually isn't as good as it should be because I am rushing to try and do a two-week project in 24 hours. Hey, Sergio, I got a question for you. Yeah. How many clients have asked you for pinholes? Um... Probably none. Okay, yeah, because I had heard there's there's some materials companies out there that are trying to tell concrete artisans that pinholes are good. Clients love pinholes. It's not concrete unless it's got air in it. It's got to have pinholes. So anyway, right. I just now, I just wondered if you no. experienced that. Pinholes, no. I have had people ask me for for. For large holes. Yeah, but that's going to, it's not going to be on the flat. That's going to be on the vertical surfaces. Yep, on the verticals. Exactly. And there's ways to. The exact word was, yes, I want those big voids. It's for me, you know, we live in Florida and in my area, a lot of people, you know, I'm a surf town, I'm a beach town. So a lot of people go surfing down South America. And in South America, you know, they do a lot of concrete countertops in Costa Rica and Nicaragua, Panama. Um, Now those are all cast in place. Um, And these people are on vacation in these VRBOs and these, and they're beautiful, beautiful countertops, but they're cast in place, you know, Portland cement. When the customer tells me they want it to look like that, I quickly have to remind them, I'm like, well, first of all, you're on vacation for a week. Did you really look at those countertops? Did you see how damaged they were? Or you just walked in and saw how cool it looked when you put your groceries on there for the week. You know what I mean? And, but that's when I do get people asked, like, can you make it look kind of, can you make it four inches thick? And can you make it look very, you know, like it was in a form? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes we can and, and you know, sometimes we can't. <laughs> I had the exact, exact same request. And it's pretty rare, but I had the exact same request from a guy that had a restaurant called Sumo Maya in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
and he wanted he he loved South America, and yeah. he wanted it to have that feeling, and he wanted me to like break corners off and have rebar sticking out. I'm like, no, bro, that's faux. That's Mickey Mouse. <laughs> that's Disney. I do not do faux Disney crap, right? But what I will do is I'll use a rough sawn board formed edge. So essentially to mimic the forms they use down here that are not smooth, they're the rough lumber. I'll do rough sawn edge and I'll cast it and I'll seal it one, one coat of ICT. I said, right. it will, it will age. It won't stain per se, but it'll patina. And I'm not going to go through the whole sealing process. I'll just do one, one coat of ICT. And we did it and he loved it. Years later, still loved it. It was Ugh. perfect. That's a dream client, Brandon. Yeah. That's a dream client right there, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, I wanted to jump in real quick about the confidence thing is, John, I think you're right. In the beginning, so there's two things that kill your confidence. One is bad materials. And we all experience that. We're using a sealer that didn't perform. It peeled. It did whatever. Um, a concrete mix that curled or cracked or whatever the issues were. had tons of air in it, tons of pinholes. So you have you have that part that's wearing on your confidence. And then you have the experience side that wears on your confidence because somebody comes in and they say, hey, can you make this, you know, 12 foot triple wave sink? Yes, I can. And they walk out. You're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And that kills you, right? <laughs> and so in time, after you've done these types of projects, you develop natural confidence that you can do it. But in the beginning, you don't have that. In the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. When a client comes to you, it's, it's one of those things that it can, it can knock you. What, I could, what I'll say is, you know, we do training, which you've been to a class. We do training, which helps expedite that process for people so they can get further down the line with confidence. So when a client comes to them, they feel more confident that they can execute the client's vision. And then we also, with Kodiak, we feel that we've developed the most innovative materials that really help artisans and DIYers if, if somebody's just doing something for themselves. But they, they have the ability to create the highest level concrete possible that is the most durable and life-friendly surface possible. And, you know, we, we firmly believe that. But I think also confidence just comes down to at some point you have to decide you're, you know, it's kind of like Stuart Smiley from SNL. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people just like me. You know, you have to just say, I'm a professional. This is what I do. I don't care, you know, Brandon and John been doing it for 20 years each. I've been doing it for two years, whatever. You have to have that meeting with the client. And they say, can you do this? And you say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Absolutely. And then you'll figure it out. You know, you might do it four times. I've been down that road many times. You do it, it doesn't turn out. You do it again, it doesn't turn out. You've lost money, you keep going until it's right. But that's, the, that's kind of the cost of doing business, and that's the cost of building up your confidence level. Right. And, and you know, Brandon, a big thing for my confidence um, was, I guess, becoming aware that I, my material didn't need to be perfect for everybody. You know, when I first started, I just I, I, I wanted to sell it like you, you want concrete. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's it's what you know, you got to have concrete. And for me, a few years back, um, I realized that, you know, concrete isn't for everybody. And when I was able to finally stop trying to sell it to everybody and kind of know that, hey, I'm going to walk into this guy's house. I am going to look at her perfect tiles that have brand new sealer on them on the floor and not a single scratch and be like, you know what? Concrete is not going to be for this lady and not worry about having her talk her into it. My confidence has skyrocketed 
And just knowing that I wasn't going to lose any sleep, I wasn't going to have to hear about her from, you know, the minute she got a tiny little imperfection to, you know, to whatever. Um, and that was a big one for me, a huge one, when I was able to just accept it for what it is and know that, you know what, not everybody's going to like it. You know, it's not going to perform yeah. the way it needs to. It's not going to be like stainless steel for some people, even though stainless steel messes up as well. But, you know, to not try and convince people that it was this this perfect material, that was a big one for me. Yeah, and you I and I had that kind of this Facebook dialogue back and forth on a forum about convincing people because I'm yeah. of the opinion that if you have to convince anybody, it's the wrong client. If you have to convince them and you made a point that people have questions and I agree. There's a difference between convincing and addressing questions. For if somebody sure. has questions, you should definitely take the time to address those questions and, and honestly give them honest information. Is it going to stain? Probably. Is it going to scratch? Most likely. You know, these are, yeah. these are honest answers. But if somebody comes to you, and this is the, the Facebook post I'm discussing, that somebody comes to you and they says, listen, I can get this for this price. Why should I use you? You shouldn't. You should definitely go with that. Go get it. Yeah. That sounds like a much better <laughs> right. material, but I appreciate yeah. you contacting me. That's going to yeah. be the best thing because you trying to convince them or price match or beat whatever, or that, that's a, it's a zero sum game. Your time is better spent working with people that actually want, not that you're trying to convince that want your product, but might have genuine questions that there's a difference. And I think that's all learned, Brandon. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, when I first started, I mean, Man, I was so pumped that you could polish concrete to 3,000. I thought it was the yeah. coolest thing ever. I mean, it was awesome. I was like, this is concrete. I mean, I couldn't get it. I, I remember that day. It's the first countertop I ever did, and I polished it to 3,000. And, I, you know, I was like, wow, it's like a mirror. This is amazing. Like, this is concrete. Like, I'm just thinking driveway. You know, it took me years to realize that, you know what? I was setting myself up for so much work and heartache and pain putting in shiny countertops. But I had to learn that myself. Nobody could tell me that, especially back then. You know, um, it, you know, you just go through those phases where, you know, you're, 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 you don't even realize you're not confident at that point. I don't think I didn't realize it anyway. You know, I just it was such a new material, and over time now, you know, it it makes it it looks so much different in my eyes now because I can. There's so much knowledge out there now that it's very easy now for me to categorize like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Oh, you know, that's why he does that. Or that's why they suggest that. Um, it, it's the materials, like you said, John, I started in 2004 and I was like you, Sacri, Rebar. I mean, remember when everybody freaked out when you can use somebody posted a picture? I think it wasn't even a picture because there was no posting back then. Somewhere I saw, oh, it was in his book, in Buddy Rhodes' book, he, uh, he used like a, what's it called? Lathe, right? For a, for a brick wall instead lath. of rebar. Yeah. Yeah. Expanded, and I was like, yeah, yeah wire that's, that's genius. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but you know, but that was, that was huge back then. Yeah. You know, you're like, what? I don't have to, I have these rebar benders. I'm bending this rebar on my table all the time to make these L's. <laughs> this yeah. is genius, you know? But once again, we didn't know until we tried it that maybe that wasn't the way to go. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah <laughs> but, yeah. Bad advice. But those are, it was like the shiny the ladder wire. I remember going through all the ladder. Yeah. Wire. Ladder yeah. wire. Oh yeah, yeah. man. I, I, I mean, I don't know how many, I remember trying to bend. I had to go to Home Depot and buy uh, 
yeah, buy big grids of, of you know, of, of wire and trying to bend it straight because they just put on a big stack and bend it with their forklifts. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, but once again, you know, now that the materials have changed, we, we have the ability to, to, to focus on, on other things. Absolutely. And put out a product that you can feel good about, you know, and, and be confident. Brandon, you said it, you know, mine was a 16 foot table, uh, sorry, 16 foot Island with a, a big sink cast in the center of it. You know, that was my, that was my one for, like you said earlier, like, Oh yeah, I, I, I can do that. And when I walked out into the truck, I was like, Holy cow, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> you know, how am I, I don't even have a 16 foot table. How is this going to work? Yeah. But Oh yeah, I can do it. No problem, sir. Yes. I got you. No problem. You know, and back then it was probably, oh, yeah, and it's $65 a square foot. No problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. Yeah. Delivery's free. I'll deliver it for <laughs> yeah, free. Delivery's free. I'll yeah. need a crane. Yeah, and I'll need no, to remove a window. Yeah, yeah, and I'll need fine. 20 guys. But it's free. I'll, I'll, I'll take yeah. care of that. Yeah. Oh, I showed up with six of us. I put on these IKEA cabinets. I thought the whole thing was going to collapse. I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was talking to my but, girls uh, last night, and I told them, what I love about what I do is problem solving. I love it because my, my daughter, she had done something and she was telling me she loves to use her brain and come up with new, new ideas, right? I said, yes, problem solving. That's what, why I love what I do every day is it's a puzzle. Every day when I go to work, it's a puzzle. It's my job same. to figure it out. And I, if I went to a job where I sat at a desk and I did the same thing, I used to do that, director of sales. There's no problem solving. You know, it's you go to a meeting, you sell, you leave. You go to a meeting, you sell, you leave. There's no puzzle to figure out. There's just numbers. There's just more. Uh, I love every day when I come in here doing something new that I've never done before to some level, doing something new that I haven't done before and figuring out a new, innovative way, a better way, refining a way. Whatever it is, it's always a puzzle, and that's what I enjoy most. And that's what's kept me interested for 20 years. Where had I gone into the corporate world, which I did for a minute when I was young, but had I gone that direction, I definitely, I'm, I, I'm sure I wouldn't be interested in whatever it was I was doing. It would just be a paycheck and it'd be an existence, but it wouldn't be living. No, agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why most of us continue on with this stuff. I mean, that, that's why I love the chemistry. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, I'm constantly working on something. I wouldn't say new, but, you know, tinkering. I'm a tinkerer. You're a tinkerer, buddy. Right? You're a tinkerer. You, you tinkle and you tinker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, I got to wrap this up. I got some work to do. I know Serho does too. Yes, right. I do. Hey, well, guys, thank you for having me on. It was great, great having you. To you. Yeah. I'm glad things I'll see are you guys well. in a few weeks at Dusty's place. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. I, I booked my spot last week, so I'm in. Awesome. I talked to Dusty today. We're going to cap it at 30 people, so we're getting pretty close. He doesn't want to have more than 30. Um, so, yeah. If, yes. if you're on the fence, because Dusty's gotten a ton of calls from people that are kind of waiting the last second, don't wait until the last second. We're going to put a cap. I'm going to go to the website today and cap it at 30. And when that number gets hit, it'll say sold out. So book today or you're going to miss out. All right. Well, you guys right, take Sergio. it easy. Hey, say hi to Sergio for us. I will. I will. I'm going to go. He's probably out in the water still surfing. He's a little bit wave right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. All right, guys. Adios. <laughs> Adios. Adios.